Attention, all residents of Elwood City. This is an emergency broadcast. Okay, just kidding. It's Lucas here, your buddy, your pal. Uh, I'm just here to remind you that if you want to help us out here at Elwood City Limits, uh, there's a couple of ways. Of course, there's, you know, donating to the Patreon. But another huge way that helps us is uh, nominating us for the Coast Best of Halifax Award. See, Elwood City Limits is a Halifax podcast, and one of the ways that we get recognition is in the annual Coast Awards. Last year, we were nominated, and we'd love to be nominated again. It's really simple. All you have to do is go to bestofhalifax.com, scroll down to the News and Media section, and then under Podcast, write down Elwood City Limits. And that supports us here as a podcast. Okay, that, that that's the end of the emergency broadcast. So, Will, I know that you usually start us off with our our little introduction. We don't get right into the Arthur stuff. Uh, But it's it's a big week, and I'm not sure what to start with. I mean, we got one, I graduated. That's a little bit of personal news. (laughs) I mean, there's that. You know, the Best of Halifax Coast Awards are going on right now. You can go to bestofhalifax.ca and nominate us for that. That's big news. Uh, literally minutes ago, the XXL freshman list for 2019 was released. Which oh, is I, bet a- you I, do- I bet you I don't know anybody. Oh, okay. okay. Uh, well, and there's one more thing. Remind me to talk about the one more thing before we get to the Arthur stuff. But let's. I really want to play this game. We're going to play Has Will no heard of any of these people are <laughs> okay the baby i've heard that name before megan yes. the stallion yeah was she in a previous one no that's not okay. how it works <laughs> no, okay, okay all right Ma- um, megan the stallion is probably my favorite from this year's class of all the people uh she's a great female rapper and an anime fan at that uh okay ybn corday i believe i'm no. pronouncing that right Def- definitely not rico nasty no uh rico nasty is also very good her album with kenny beats is great gonna no oh see now i'm gonna see this whole the whole joke of this segment is to make it be like, oh, Will doesn't know these rappers, but I'm about to like mispronounce this one, and I shall be the fool here. Comethazine? C-O-M-E-T-H-A-Z-I-N-E. No. Comethazine? Tarawak, which I had a very good album last year. I didn't listen to it, but I heard good things about it. No. Lil Mosey? No. Roddy Rich, and that's Rich with two C's. No. Blueface, otherwise known as Blueface Baby. No. Uh, Blueface famous for the song Thatiana. <laughs> B- Bust Down. I I've, believe you might be familiar with uh, such hit. No. Nah. And finally, uh, closing out the pack, uh, YK Osiris. No. Okay. 
Well, there you have it, folks. That's Will's uh, uh, take on this year's XXL freshman list. And now, uh, Will, it's also an extra special episode of Elwood City Limits because this is going to be the first episode of Elwood City Limits. You know, we like to talk about the NBA. Uh, and I, I, oh, oh, my God. Last episode we recorded, it was before the Raptors won, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Okay, so congratulations to the greatest uh, NBA team in the entire league, the Toronto Raptors. Um the best NBA team in the world, the Toronto Raptors, Canada's own, the home of basketball. I don't know if you know this, Will. Basketball was invented here. Uh, yeah. And, yeah, a Canadian basketball team is the best basketball team on earth. So You must you must have been el- uh, elated even seems a little bit, uh, little bit weak. Uh, it will be one of the top ten, I, I mean top three, maybe even top two, uh, most important like sports memories of my entire life was watching that live in uh, wow. Rogers Square. Um, it was something I like two years ago. I never thought was going to happen. So uh, it was pretty special and fantastic. But to continue on, you know, people think the NBA season's over. All the NBA talk on this Arthur podcast is going to stop. Will right now on the background with the sound off, I have the in twenty minutes or so is going to be the NBA draft. Uh, oh, man. on the TV in the background. So we might take a, a quick reprise from Arthur talk to check back in to see, will the New Orleans Pelicans use their number one draft pick to draft Zion Williamson? Will will RJ Barrett indeed be going to the New York Knickerbockers? Uh, you're going to hear all that and more live here on Elwood City Limits. Live to tape, as it were. Uh, that's right. It is Elmwood City Limits. Believe it or not, it is the episodic Arthur podcast. Uh, that this is Will Young, and that's Lucas Mancini. Hello. Uh, yeah, it I it has certainly been a big week. I'm a little bit uh, scatterbrained myself. It certainly hasn't hasn't had a candle on your week, Lucas. Congratulations on your graduation. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, my, you know, second times the charm. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I'm I'm extremely happy. Um, about the whole gosh darn thing. So onwards and upwards. Well, what's uh, what's the next step for you? Oh, I, I, I uh, I'm, well, I'm doing a work term now with uh, uh, D- uh, Dalhousie University, and we're gonna see how that goes and all that stuff. So exciting stuff. But of course, there's always the podcast. That's true. At the forefront of my mind. <laughs> Uh, fingers crossed indeed as we uh, continue on here recapping Arthur episodes uh, thank you everybody for your uh, great responses to uh, the 100th episode and now we're at episode 101 life's just a bed of roses 101 <laughs> uh, so yeah it's time for us to get started on that this is a uh, uh, I'll give this away first off it's uh, it's, a, it's a couple of weird ones this week, uh, I think this is might be the most getting ahead of ourselves we've ever gotten ahead of ourselves. But yo, is season seven dope or is it dope? <laughs> it's heating up. It's heating up. I feel like it started a bit cold, but it's uh, you just it was clearly a burner situation. You I just had to leave it on there for a little bit. I just like my memories of season six is like I have no memories of season six. Like it was just like the most middle of the road milk toast season of Arthur ever. And like season seven is getting weird on us, and I love it very much. So, and I hope that's a trend to continue. Before we get into the actual episode itself, it's time to go over to our emails. 
ElwoodCityLimits at gmail.com is where you can send your emails. We've got a couple of older ones uh, that I wanted to make sure got attention as well here. Uh, from Kelsey, it's Ratburn's Accents. Kelsey wanted to talk about Mr. Ratburn's Accents. When it comes to certain episodes, like the episode you guys reviewed with his Italian accent, I personally agree. I was never fond of his, of his accents in the show as well. But on doing some Googling on Ratburn's voice actor, his native language isn't English. It's actually French which surprised me because of how well he speaks in English. So I think it would be difficult to try to act with an accent while reading lines that isn't even written in a language you speak in. I also wanted to say that after watching Mr. Rapper and the Special Someone, Rapper as the Hulk kind of creeped me out. And I do think that they will slowly bring Patrick on as a main character because in the more recent seasons, they've gotten a little bit better with continuity. So a couple thoughts there from Kelsey. I forgot, I'm not sure I knew that Arthur Holden was a native French speaker. I'm sure there's a couple of them on the cast as they record in Montreal. Oh, yeah, I was going to say, a super French-Canadian. Yeah, big time. Uh, this one is from Anonymous, and this is kind of thoughts on the uh, the gay rat wedding episode. If you're not aware, uh, Viv from Arthur and Buster BFFL did a special flash-forward episode with me a few weeks ago on Mr. Rapper and the Special Someone. Uh, you can uh, go check that out. Uh, so this comes from Anonymous. I thought they'd give their personal thoughts on the Mr. Ratburn's gay wedding controversy. Please note my points come from a more conservative angle. I personally, I personally agree with Alabama Public Television somewhat. I agree with their point that parents should watch programs with their children and discuss the topics brought up in the episode, especially with the topic of the LGBT community since it has become more a part of society. By removing the episode, it removes the chance for children to learn how to be more understanding towards friends or family members who identify as such. Hopefully the episode will return to Alabama television, perhaps with a message at the start of the episode, encouraging parents to discuss the topic in further detail with their children. On the topic of the controversy, did you guys see the fake news article about how an edited version of the episode will air in Alabama in which Mr. Ratburn marries his sister? I did. I did see that joke. What a, what a sick burn. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think in a perfect world, it would be great if parents could watch TV with their kids, but I certainly think that, don't think that that should hold it back from being Aaron altogether, but that's just uh, this person's opinion, whoever they may be. Moving away from that topic, what do you two think of Muffy's character growth throughout these past few episodes? While the small development they've been giving her is nice, her character truly begins to improve when they elaborate on her relationship with her butler, Bailey, later on in the series. It's funny that he mentions that because we get a little bit of Bailey in this episode, and it really got me thinking about, you know, the big questions out there. I was like, gosh, it must really suck to be a butler. Like, sure, you get to live in a nice big house and stuff, but you're basically, like, in indentured servitude. Like, it does not seem fun. Like, does Bailey have a wife and child, or is he just, like, a blood oath to the Crosswire family and to serve them for the rest of his days? It just doesn't seem like... Bailey also specifically, like, for instance, Michael Caine in the Batman movies, he seems to really like uh, Bruce Wayne you know, mm. kind of sees him as a son type figure. Uh, Bailey always kind of seems depressed. And it really got me thinking about like, I, I, I just feel bad for Bailey. Yeah. I don't know if I've thought too hard about it yet. I know that he comes into play way later in the series. Um, I will say that um, as far as Muffy's character growth goes, I think it's more that we've seen her kind of spread her wings in more diverse situations. And while I don't know if I like her better, I think she has a, more full characterization than the start of this series. I think they've uh, gotten better at making Muffy 
funny as opposed to annoying, right? Like it's, yeah. it, it's yeah. she's become more of a comedic device of a rich person and less the less of an antagonist. I think she fits mm-hmm. much better in that role. Yeah, I agree. Finally, what are your guys' thoughts on the Sonic movie being delayed to February? Will you change your next Patreon goal, raise the amount of members needed to reach the goal, or merely leave the goal as is? I think we tackled this uh, when it happened, right? We talked about this, uh, about the Sonic movie. We had... I don't remember if we adjusted the goal. We definitely pushed it back. You now have extra time to pump some money into the Patreon to ensure that Will goes see goes to see the Sonic movie against his will. Uh, but do we do we adjust the goal at all? I don't quite remember. But I, I in a past episode, I believe we addressed this. Yeah, we yeah, pretty much. I don't think the goal is going to change mainly because it's so. Un- I feel it's unreachable in the first place. So uh, if it gets there by February, I'll be genuinely surprised. So you know what? Like make my make my day. Prove me wrong. You'll you'll be you'll be happy because we've made so much money on Patreon, and then you'll be uh, sad because you'll have to go see the Sonic movie and talk about it with me. Yeah, then I'll really have to pay for my hubris. <laughs> this next one is from Urs Cat. Hi, ECL. Long time no message. I think there's something amazing about the Arthur fandom. People may disagree on who should marry who and which characters are grating, but I think we all know deep down inside that the animation and plot lines of Arthur really mesh with the sound of Death Grips. Assuming the characters were old enough to listen to the music, which songs or albums do you think they would like the most? Now, I don't know if Urs means which Death Grips songs or albums or like which in general and if it's Death Grips I'm afraid I don't have that good of a knowledge of, the, of them so first of all I'm going to take this I assume Urs Cat is referring to the uh, let me see if I can find it again I, I remember showing this to you Will but there is a Death Grips Arthur uh, AMV aka anime music video uh, yes yep. you, yeah incredible. you showed that to me yeah <laughs> it is it is uh, really oh yeah. great uh, no love, no love. DW is the name of that video. That video is fantastic. Um, mm-hmm. Let me pull up the Death Grips discography real quick. Uh, let's see if this well, is he... this is going to be a a, a one sided segment, but we could try our best here. So, I definitely think, and I'll try my best to give some context for this for you, Will, because I'm not sure how familiar you are with the Death Grips discography. But I think so. Ex Military, Death Grips' first album, kind of the most uh, viscerally angry uh, of of the bunch, I think, is either you know Binky or the rest of the tough customers. Uh, that seems more their speed. Um, you know, no love, deep web, full of its its tech paranoia. I think is that's a that's a Buster joint right there. Uh, either that or government plates. Really, uh, that's also kind of similar themes. And then um, the money store. Uh, we're probably going to give to Arthur just because Arthur seems like he's got good taste and that's their best album. And then I don't really know the other uh, the other uh, Death Grips albums that well. You know, The Powers That Be, Bottomless Pit, and Year of the Snitch. Uh, which Arthur character do you think snitches the most? We'll give them Year of the Snitch. Brain? Damn, Brain got Year of the Snitch. Sometimes it be that way. We move on now. Uh, this one is from JHC, the lovely person who uh, uh, drew that picture of you and I. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. 
Uh, really enjoyed the recent review of Elbit City Turns 100. Nice way to end off the week. Even more so than that, I might say that this was perhaps one of your best reviews yet. Oh, thank you very much. Uh, I also wanted to chime in and share some information regarding Arthur's voice actor during this season. Lucas, you are correct. Mark Rendell, the voice actor for this season, can sing, but I'm pretty sure that for the remainder of his time on Arthur, he's never needed to do so again. But the reason I know of his singing ability, uh, as actually, though, my familiarity of another show that Mark Rendell worked on, which is titled Jane and the Dragon. Not sure if you're familiar with that show, but he plays a jester character, so singing was more than likely something he was specifically cast to do. I haven't seen the show in ages, but I did watch it a fair amount as a kid, and if anything has stuck with me from the show, it's the absolute banger of a theme song. I believe that's Mark Rendell singing the first few lines as well. Uh, I actually haven't heard of this before. Is Jane and the Dragon that CGI show? Just a second. Jane and the Dragon. I wonder if it's Canadian. It, it it feels to be oh my god okay will please do yourself a favor do a quick quick jade of the dragon search this show um god we're really getting to the memory banks now first of all this show gives off big canadian energy i don't know if it's canadian or not but it's just you know sometimes you get shows and you're like this show's got big canadian energy and second of all mainly because mainly because it's low budget uh yeah. The CGI here is it's it's not necessarily I mean like it's not like reboot like reboot's got like a special kind of bad CGI but it's also got the excuse of having like the first CGI in a TV show ever uh, but this Jane and the Drag it just looks just looks weird the way people look in this look weird uh, uh, th- this de- this definitely s- missed me so oh this okay is, uh... country of origin Canada and New Zealand there was only one Uh-oh. season twenty six episodes of Jane and the Dragon um. Gosh, goodness gracious, the people look weird. They look sick. They look ill. Check out Jane and the Dragon, kids. Um, Also, shout out to Jordan Taylor. His review of the Arthur and Friends uh, CD or tape is actually an episode I have a clear memory of listening to during this past semester. You and I both forgot to mention him. Oh, man, I knew I was forgetting somebody. So in case no one else reminded you, here I am with a belated thanks. Yes. Thank you to Jordan Taylor, a, uh, a double guest on our show. Great guy. He should know that the discussion surrounding the tape did at least make the old artist grind more bearable. Hope you all receive lots of nominations for the Coast Best of Halifax Awards. I nominated you earlier this week. Good luck, and thanks for reading. That's from JHC. Thank you, JHC. Fighting the good fight, doing your part. And speaking of a former guest, our last email comes from Viv. Dear Will and Lucas, almost caught up with all your ECL episodes. A very crummy morning today, and your podcast had lifted my spirits a bit. Thank you guys very much. Finished your top five episodes of season six, first episode of season seven. In the middle of your talk of season seven premiere, the Word From Us Kids segment, where it took place at the New England Aquarium, it reminded me of one of my experiences there. I don't remember it that well, but I think it took place in the fourth grade, where my class and I stayed for the night in the jellyfish room. Lucas probably knows what I'm talking about. I do remember the jellyfish room. I did not know you could stay there overnight. That's crazy. All I remember is that we slept in sleeping bags on the carpeted floor, and we had to wake up really early before it opened. And I'm guessing that the jellyfish were the best color-changing nightlights in the universe. Thank you again for what you guys do. Hope to guest star again soon. Uh, Viv signs this an ECL podcast survivor. So I don't know what that says about us. I don't know. I, I guess when you're, you're a guest on the show, it just it just does something to you. I don't know if you saw uh, uh, Moore's tweet the other day about, uh, <laughs> these, you know, 
you can you can take the guests off Elwood City limits, but you can't take the Elwood City limits out of the guests because Moore was tweeting about uh, Aloysius Zimmer plots. It's Zimmer plots. The yeah. Other day. Shouts out to Aloysius. Non problematic fave. Aloysius Zimmer plots. A Z. Little A Z. Yeah. Little uh, A Z th- on the track. Where's Little A Z? Where's Aloysius Zimmer plots on the XXL freshman list? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah, see that that guy, I definitely know. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, that guy, you know that. Hey, Aloysius Zimmerplot has got clout. Thank you, everybody, for your emails. ElbaCityLimits at gmail.com. And of course, while we're in the subject of thank yous, this episode has been brought to you by Caitlin Harrington, Chandra Lefave Boten, Christine Wong, Christopher Ifill, Crescent Fresh, Dan Mike Dawson Silva, Emily Kay, Froppy, Ian Collis, Jake Bailey, Joe Sue, John Dulong. Uh, John Griswold, Kalen Krogall, Kevin Noon, Leanne S., Light Relentless, Macy Ball, Passion Fruit F- Pavlova, Riley Stevens, Ross Ward, Sam Solero, Shayna Bennett, Stella, Teresa, and a brand new patron, William. Thank you, everybody. And now it's time to get into the episode. It's time to start with pick a car, any car. And I was wondering, the I, I definitely recognized the the plot synopsis of this episode as soon as it began. So, so, so Will, art imitates life, okay? Oh. Last week, I got the news. I was going to go put... Okay, for, little context here. It's a little late to be taking my winter tires off and putting my all-seasons on. It is indeed June, but it's June here in Nova Scotia, and I think the weather's been only good for, like, what, two weeks tops? Sure. Uh, Still, a little lazy. Anyway, mechanic... A uh, good friend of my dad's, uh, close to the family, good, honest mechanic, not like the mechanic in this episode, uh, puts it up on the lift. He's like, listen, your expectations up in August? Don't spend any money on this car. Don't put new tires on this car. This car's not passing inspection in August. Oh, no. You're you're just running into the ground. Now, luckily, you know, I, I have a job. Uh, I'm going to probably be able to afford a used car in August. But art imitates life. This episode is literally happening to me as we speak. Um, so I just thought it was some sort of cosmic trick uh, that we get to the Arthur family goes car shopping, used car shopping, right when I'm about to go used car shopping. Well, it's funny. Uh, I'm actually kind of in a similar position to you because my car is in need of like literally thousands of dollars of repairs at this point. But... Jenna and I, my wife, uh, have found a new place that we're going to move into. We've also decided that because it's on a bus line, we're going to get rid of both of our cars and get a new-to-us car. So I'm also like, my car still has my winter tires on it. It's got a whole bunch of stuff wrong with it, and I need to take it into a garage one more time. I feel like I'm going to be getting that uh, that message from the, uh, from, the, from the repairman as well, of just like, no, it's... Time, time to let her go. So I am kind of in a similar situation to you. It's, it's, it's Arthur was there for us when we didn't even know we needed it, right? Like, it, it's kind of crazy. So this episode starts off and uh, we get classic, classic cars broken. Dad's like, like, I've done this exact face that Arthur's dad's doing right now where he rolls up his sleeves, opens up the car hood and just kind of scratches his head. <laughs> I've done this on the side of the road many a time where you're like trying to look like you kind of like there's something you could do anything, but really there's, <laughs> there's, there's truly nothing. 
Uh, this is like one of my worst anxiety. One of my biggest anxieties is the car breaking down in the middle of traffic and you being the cause of the traffic stall. Like I was just, it was a bit too real to start off here. Uh, so yeah, the Reed family car is broken down. Uh, I was thinking along the way, this isn't the car that I'm used to seeing. Don't the, isn't the car they normally drive like a shade of red? This is one, this one's a bit more compact and like a shade of purple. Yeah. It's like uh periwinkle. Um, which it's, is kind of a kind of a dope color for a car, to be honest with you. But now that you're right, I I, I wonder if our brains are conflating the Sims. What, what color is the Simpsons car? Is it pink as well? It's it's pink. Yeah. Okay. The Arthur car's red. Hmm. There's no well, because, easy see, way to Google this Arthur's car. Well, because we um because I always figured it was like mom's car is red and then dad has the catering van. But right. This seems to be like a third vehicle. See, when you when you look up Arthur Carr on Google Images, there's a picture that's called Mr. Reed's Station Wagon, but I think it's from this episode. Okay. Uh, because anyway, yeah, you, I, I feel you... like I'm trying to remember, like when they had um, remember when they had the whale strapped to the top of the car? I think that car was red. Yeah, it was like uh, magenta, something like that. This I don't, I don't know. I'm not confident we've seen this car before, but I'm sure that our listeners will tell us one way or the other. Um, yeah, so uh, they're break- they've broken down in the middle of traffic. Arthur is sad about this because he says there's a lot of memories in this car. And we actually get these little flashbacks of, like, Arthur and DW through various stages of childhood. Like, we have baby Arthur in the back seat throwing his rattle. We have, like, toddler Arthur and baby DW as Arthur hides, like, a Pop-Tart in between the seat. I loved these. We see we see Arthur and Buster chasing uh, Pal as a puppy through the car. You know, it's 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 interesting, right? Like, I was tempted to complain about Arthur in this episode because he gets so upset about his parents selling the car. And it's like, well, I mean, it's not that big of a deal. But then I like my parents have told me about this. Like when I was a kid, I was really weird about the family cars. Like when I was like a young, young, like single digit kid. Like, like when I was like six or whatever, I would get mad when my mom drove my dad's car or when my dad drove my mom's car. I'd be like, that's not your car to drive. That's like the other parent's car. For some yeah. reason, it would make me like irrationally upset. And I remember being super young and my parents getting like a new car. And I remember like not being happy about it. Like looking back on it now, it's obviously like ridiculous with my fully formed adult brain. But kids are weird about cars. I feel like they they haven't emotionally matured enough to like. It's one of the first. It might be one of the first cases where they have to let go, really, and they're not prepared for it. Well, I, I'm. I want to get into this a bit later, but that, I, I I have a bit. To, I have a bit to say about Arthur's feelings about this. So he's not. You know, it's not looking good for the car, and he's a little bit. Uh, a little bit worried about this. After the cold open, they take it to a garage. The the so this mechanic that they have kind of throughout this episode. This dude's got a weird head. You know, you, you take a look at this guy's melon. Okay, so the mechanic is from the jump throwaway character of the week. Um, especially the more and more, uh, by the way, Will, the, the draft is starring. Uh, RJ Barrett is wearing a suit, and it's the same color as the Reed family car. I kid you not. RJ <laughs> Barrett is wearing a suit. And Zion's wearing all white. Okay, anyway. Anyway. Uh, the mechanic, uh, all and the more sinister the mechanic becomes as the episode goes on, the more and more I'm like, oh yeah, this guy's going in the throwaway character Hall of Fame. 
It's not often yeah. that we get a throwaway villain. Like, there's not, yeah. not not really... Either the villains in Arthur are usually, like, an antagonist that's, like, one of the kids is kind of playing that role for the episode, or it's really the situation is the villain, right? It's not often we have an outright malicious character in Arthur. Uh, and this... It's so funny that they choose, like, the, the stereotype of a dishonest mechanic to be, like, one of the examples of just, like, a straight-up bad person in the Arthur universe. His name is Joe. He's got a... Uh, name tag now that I noticed rewatching the episode. Yeah, he's. It seems like they really had something to say of like, uh, oh, you know, g- garage mechanics. They pretend they know what they're doing. It'll take you for all their worth. Which is like, you know, it's 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 kind of a bit of an old observation, but it's weird to see that in Arthur. It's like one of the one of the writers or something had like a really bad experience with a mechanic and decided to create a villain here. Like there's a couple of terms that he's saying and I'm like that's not in a car. <laughs> I like I don't know anything about cars, but that's not that's not a thing. Uh so apparently it's going to be a bit too much to fix. So. I mean, I'll say this. I I love again, my mechanics very close to my family, so I'm a big fan of my a mechanic, but I have like when I didn't live in this city and I lived in the valley, I have been taken for a ride by many a mechanic. Sometimes it's true what they say: an honest mechanic's hard to find. Not to despair, you know. If we have any mechanic listeners, I'm sure you do good work, but I'm sure you're one of the good ones. You know what I mean? Yeah, it really is the kind of thing where if you know somebody or if your family knows somebody, you're better off to go with that because otherwise, who knows? You could be you know, taken for all your worth, especially if you go to like a dealership or something. Give me a break. Uh, so the Reed family has to entertain the idea that perhaps uh, they'll have to get a new car and everybody has their own fantasy. This was great. Car this was like awesome. We even get like, so we get the, we get like a DW fantasy where it's like a stretch Hummer kind of thing where she has like a pool in the back and Arthur's her chauffeur, her chauffeur. What I really liked is mom and dad's fantasies because we don't get very many of those. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, I noticed that as well. So mom's kind of driving like a Miata. She's kind of living like a Thelma and Louise yeah. style fantasy. And then uh, dad's fantasy was very fun. Dad's fantasy is almost just essentially a car commercial. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, just that they've got this thing in the back so that his his cake that he's delivering never, like, slides or falls over or anything. Yeah, and he's got, like, all-terrain drive, essentially. Like, I, I just picture, like, uh, oh, yeah, and it's, like, this weird... Uh, it's like, do you know what it's like? It's like the the pass the the driver's seat in Death Proof. Like the cake is in that, where like everything yeah. else in the car is shaking, but the cake is like staying still. Yeah, stuntman Dave over here. <laughs> but Arthur really doesn't want to get a new one. In fact, he has a a nightmare where he uh is dressed in like burglar garb and he breaks into the junkyard to try and get the car out of there. But then he and the car both end up in basically the the compactor. Well, and okay, and and uh, again, uh, mechanic Joe is actually at the junkyard and is attempting. It's almost as if he knows Arthur's in the car and is trying to kill him, even though he's there in the middle of the night. Uh, <laughs> and at first, I thought this was like okay. I I like it when like a character who's normal in real life in Arthur's like imaginations like cartoonishly evil, but this was yeah. foreshadowing for. Uh, uh, Joe's true nature because it hasn't been revealed to us yet as far as we're concerned Joe's at this point is in his uh, uh, is is doing his best to help out the Reed family yeah it's like a little a little sus but you kind of have to read between the lines for that as far as as far as the Reed family knows he's being straight up with them 
we we get a little aside here of where like like Arthur's talking to Buster about this, and then we get a shot of like Buster in Bitsy's car. And I liked his uh, little kid appreciation of how terrible his mom's car is. They're like, Buster's literally like bouncing up on the seat in the back of just like, hey, Arthur, if we go over a big enough bump, we can touch the roof. The inside of Bitsy's car looks like my car. Oh, really? (laughs) Yeah, a little bit. Oh, dear. We get like a pretty much a set piece here is the Reeds are getting ready to sell their car and they are going to go get a new to them car. And, of course, where else would we go but Crosswire Motors? Okay, so I think this part is, like, a direct reference to Glengarry Glen Ross. Yeah, did you see um, – so the one that I have here is, did you see the first and second place prizes? Uh, no. So what are the so, – So on the table – so the thing from Glengarry Glen Ross, which is about salesmen, is, like, first place is – oh, my gosh, I'm going to – uh, it's like first place is something. Second place is a pair of is a set of steak knives. I believe first place, place is, is a car. I think you get a car in first right. place. First place is a car, except in this case, it's a pic- a framed picture of Ed Crosswire. <laughs> Second place is a set of steak knives, which is the same as Glengarry Glen Ross. And then in that movie, it's uh, third place is you're effing fired. So we got. I've, I've never. This is really going to be bad, Will, because you know me. I'm. Such a cinephile. I've actually never seen Glengarry Glen Ross. I've absorbed a lot of it through cultural osmosis, uh, but it's always been on my watch list. I, I don't think it's streaming anywhere, so I haven't. Um, but I know that's no excuse. But I, I've always really wanted to watch it. I know it's it's good. It's very good. I'm scared I, it'll uh... just fill me with like such anxiety. Like that whole like in any job I've ever worked around salespeople, the whole energy kind of makes me nervous. And so I know <laughs> that that movie is just like nonstop that. Well, I can't say whether or not it will, but I really enjoyed it. I would definitely recommend it for anybody who's into, like, you know, straight white male drama. <laughs> Ed's Ed's kind of taking the reads through. Like, he's doing his whole bit. This is, this is Ed Crosswire in rare form. Like, he's pulling out all of the tricks, even to the Reed family, who he's personal friends with. And he's, like, showing all of his underlings who are apparently really terrible at selling cars like all the tricks like he'll keep also whispering those just the, like the, his different rules the underlings must have been so fun to design like the underlings i feel like the you know i i i think i have the design of these throwaway characters on the brain now after your discussion uh, a couple weeks ago um and so like they like <laughs> each one of uh Crosswire's underlings has like a uniquely bad haircut. Like they all have yeah. really bad haircuts in completely different ways, and it's wonderful. Yeah, it's like uh, they almost look like the top the tops of muffins. <laughs> um, it's like coconut head from Ned's Declassified looking. I'll have to take your word for it. Uh, so they're they're going around. Basically, the the whole gist of this is that the Reed family agreed that. They wouldn't get a car unless everybody can agree on it. And basically, no matter which car they're in, Arthur just kind of shakes his head and is just like, can find something wrong with it. And I'm telling you, Lucas, if I was acting like Arthur was here, I would get in so much trouble. Uh, uh, like Again, and this is where, again, I, I was really uh, 
tempted to create like because uh, it's true as an adult looking at this situation arthur's being insanely annoying especially because this is like eating up their entire saturday like the person you would thought i thought dw was going to be a little bit uh, uh you know put up a fight about some of these cars just for some variety but no like she's on board for all of them as well it's literally just arthur's just nostalgic for the old car but then again i kept thinking back to like this intru- this episode's interesting because i really uh I feel strongly about how it reflected an experience that I hadn't really seen represented anywhere else where when I was a little kid, I was really, really upset when my parents got a new car. I don't know why. I can't explain it now as an adult, but I remember feeling like almost betrayed uh, by the idea of the car. So it's something in little kid brain that just doesn't make sense to us adults. Well, maybe it's worth getting into now. Like, I have a note here. Like, at some point in the episode, Arthur, his feelings are that that car was like a member of our family. And I feel like this is the closest the show has ever come to kind of reckoning with nostalgia a little bit, mm-hmm. which is weird because, like, the the kids in the show are eight years old, so they don't really have much to be nostalgic about. But this is genuinely something that, like, like Arthur said, this car has been with him his entire life. So it has imprinted on him in a really interesting way and you and I are at the forefront of the generation where nostalgia is uh, a big commodity and this is uh, this is a feeling that I know you and I have both had from everything to like you know having to move out of our family's houses to the spider riders theme song or what have you it's even you know? represented in the nba well zion he's wearing an all-white suit they just showed up on the screen because when lebron was drafted he was wearing an all-white suit we even have nostalgia for our nba superstars of yesteryear excuse me um sorry um <laughs> No, I, I got no, I, no, I got I'm, I'm, ser- I'm, I'm serious with the draft talk. I'm putting Will to sleep. <laughs> no, I'm serious. That was a shoot yawn. I, I that wasn't a that wasn't a joke. That'd be so rude. Um, <laughs> I guess I'm not editing that out. Um, uh, yeah, it's just it's just an interesting position, an interesting kind of story to tell from a child's perspective. Because you know, for me, I didn't end up really being nostalgic until like high school. You know, when I discovered RetroJunk.com. Uh, so, but but yeah, that's kind of where you and I are coming f- coming from with that, and it is a big theme of this one. So they are, so they pack it up and they say, you know, Ed's down to his shirt and tie here, and they just decide they'll come back the next week because Arthur can't uh, say yes to anything. The next day, uh, we see we see Ed call in for oh for well, help. we got to talk about like. Ed's got some incredible lines during this whole montage. Um, yeah, like, go, ahead, go like ahead. Ed's got some great because he, he he the whole conceit is that he's sort of uh, mentoring his underlings on how to be a great salesman, but his his lines keep failing. So, for instance, he shows uh, the Reed family a car and they sort of gasp at the price. I think they literally say "yikes." Yeah, and Ed's got a great line. He goes, uh, "Yikes minus I K is yes." Yeah, it's a real it's a it's a real Lionel Hutz approach. Yeah, uh, uh, he's got some other like real good zingers too. But then his final zinger is uh, you have to know when to call for help because he uh, he calls up Muffykins, uh, a little bit of backup, uh, his his man on the inside, if you will. And uh, she and Bailey come to pick up Arthur just. Arthur like (laughs) Arthur's walking with Buster and Muffy like literally shoves him out of the way just like just Arthur and leaves Buster there it's so cold 
Um, so she, you know, she gives him this whole thing of just like, sometimes daddy lets me ride around in one of the cars from his lot. Isn't this one great? And then Arthur sees through it. He's, he's like, I'm not going to change my mind, but Muffy, Muffy really goes for the jugular here. She's just like, it's, it's like, what do you care? It's just a car. But yeah, it's it a pretty great tactic on Ed's part. Arthur is, again, this is kind of where, you know, they are not able to sell the car. Uh, the uh, Joe from the garage says that he can buy it for like a few bucks, basically for scrap metal. And that's, that's right. He's going to give him a he's 200 gonna... bucks. Uh, yeah, which is probably gonna... more than what I'm going to get for my car when I sell it for scrap metal, in all honesty. Yeah, we'll have to see for me as well. <laughs> uh, so he's going to come pick it up tomorrow, and this is where Arthur you know, admits that the car is like a member of the family to Buster. And Buster has an idea. They have to meet the next morning before the car is taken away. And I've been, I've been kind of looking forward to talking about this. The next morning, part of Buster's plan is for he and Arthur to tune in to the popular at the time NPR radio show Car Talk, which has lived, which, which it- lived on as a podcast. By the way, I remember when I was first getting into podcasts, and I would, uh, I would uh, consistently check the top of the iTunes charts, like what podcast. There was a couple of years there where Car Talk was the king of the iTunes charts. Mm-hmm. So, in case you never heard of it, Car Talk was an NPR radio show. It started in 1977, went all the way to 2012, and as Lucas said, uh, the reruns of it were available as a podcast. And it was a Peabody Award-winning show uh, hosted by Tom and Ray Mag- Magliosi, two, uh, two New York boys, if ever there were any. Uh, unfortunately, one of the brothers, Tom, died in 2014 at the age of 77. But he, but Tom and Ray had this very successful show, successful enough that PBS immortalized them as Arthur characters. Yeah, this like, was I, this was I, wonderful, and I feel like uh, I remember seeing this as a kid. And even if you're not familiar with Car Talk, like the whole idea of it is like immediately apparent to you. Like it just makes perfect yeah. sense. Well, it's, you know, it's like they call in and, you know, and Arthur's like, I have a question about my family, my family car. And he's just like, it's like, Ray, you remember the family station way again? Oh, I remember that. Like, just it's like the Mario Brothers talking about cars. It's great. <laughs> well, and yeah, he's like the, the Arthur mentions he's from Elwood City. And, uh, you know, the mark of a great uh, Mike Francesca of New York Radio once said, and I talked about this when I talked about. I mean, I there's a this is a big aside, but uh, I did a presentation in school about uh, podcasting and why podcasting is a unique medium because it continues the tradition of radio in that um, it sort of follows you around everywhere. And when you listen to a podcast enough, you feel like you truly know the person, and that's unique to audio mediums more so than uh, TV mediums or anything else, just because you're just able to, you listen to someone talk about their life enough, you just feel like you know them. And it, it's, again, it's unique to, uh, I think, audio-only mediums. Um, and one of the, and Mike Francesca always said that, that like when people see him on the street, it's different than when people recognize you from TV because they feel like they know you because you're in their home with uh, them. And I think the mark of, a, the, like, they really, I assume Car Talk is like this and it's why it's so successful. And it's not, the advice about cars, but it's the personalities of the individuals involved 
themselves because mm-hmm. uh, immediately when Arthur mentions Elwood City, instead of just going right to, okay, what's wrong with his car? They're talking about, oh, you remember that time we drove through Elwood City? Like they have it a, a, a side <laughs> and they have a quick aside about the town itself. Um, and I can only assume, again, I probably should have listened to Car Talk just as a little bit of research for this because I've never actually, I'm familiar with the show, but I've never actually listened to it. But I assume that's why it's so successful is the personalities of those involved. And I'm sure it's it's all the parts where they're not talking about cars. I'm sure that was the glue that kind of held it together. And I imagine that they have quite a bit of expertise on the subject as well, which is why Arthur and Buster call them um you know, Arthur's trying to explain what the problem is, and at this point, we just know it's a weird sound uh, coming from somewhere in the car. Uh, there's a point where, like, Arthur looks out the window and he goes, "He goes, ah, the mechanic!" And one of the brothers is like, "It literally goes, ah, the mechanic! What a car!" I thought that was a good one. He's like, "No, the mechanic is here." I actually like. Th- there's like a little bit of like danger almost of just one of the brothers is like a mechanic making house calls. This ain't good. <laughs> yeah, no. Immediately it goes from zero to one hundred, and there's like a ticking clock element that's involved. Um, and then it gets even better when the mechanic hears that they're on the phone with the car talk guys. This might yes. be my favorite moment of the entire episode because this is where the, the me- car talk guys. Yeah, this is where the mechanic's facade completely falls apart, and the terror in his voice when yeah, he looks yeah. directly into the camera and he goes, "The car talk guys," like, yeah, <laughs> you know, the almighty car talk guys, and then and then. Arthur's like, check the tailpipe, and he just goes, your car doesn't have one. <laughs> yes, <laughs> he's, yeah. he's just like straight up boldface, like lying at this point. Yeah. So they, so the car talk guys believe that it's a rattle in the exhaust pipe, a literal baby's rattle, and Dad reaches in to get it, and it is indeed Arthur's old rattle, or it might have been Kate's or something. I don't know, a baby rattle, and then uh, you know the. Uh, <laughs> Joe is just like, yeah, that could be the problem. You never know. Cars are mysterious things. Like, I totally get why you named him throwaway <laughs> character of the week. End of the episode is mom and dad thanking Arthur. And instead of, you know, taking a reward of pizza or ice cream, Arthur, <laughs> Arthur with this cheesy line that I did kind of like, how about we just go for a drive? <laughs> I, I feel like some like 70s dad rock song. Uh, <laughs> needs needs to start playing. Gonna hit your ride, <laughs> carry me away for the last time. Exactly. A little bit of Boston. Yeah, a little bit yeah, of Boston. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> uh, yeah. So that's the end of the episode. They take a drive, and everything all is well. It's a happy ending. And now a word from a bike mechanic. <laughs> Every single bike mechanic I've ever met in my life is just like this guy. Like, oh, really? I swear, uh, I used to live across from a bike shop when I lived in downtown Dartmouth. Um, and also, uh, when I when I worked for the Shubenacadie Canal, I also there was a I interviewed a bike mechanic then. And my dad used to be around bike mechanics a lot because he mountain bikes. And they're all just like this dude. They're all kind of wiry, skinny super tall dudes who talk and <laughs> act exactly like this. This was uncanny. Because also, like, again, we live in Nova Scotia, so I, w- I was like, I wonder if this is just, like, a bike mechanic thing isolated to this city we live in. But it turns out 
I guess bike mechanics are just like this worldwide, and I love it. It's super. Th- this bike mechanic in this a word from us a word from this bike mechanic is incredibly endearing. Yeah, this was this was really odd. I did not see this coming at all. But it and it like it almost fits. You kind of have to squint at it, but also it's a little it's it's out of left field. But I'm. I'm not mad at it. So basically, it's this guy that owns or works at a bicycle repair shop. And his whole thing is that he teaches the kids how to repair their bike while he does and it. And I, I love how the way know, they... Not, they, not a great business model. I love the way they set this up, too, because, like, the kid, like, they keep setting it up so it's, like, it's obviously staged. But, like, the kid, like, comes up to the shop like they're an adult and they're like... Hey, Mike, I, I need to fix my bike. Like, they're pretending like, oh, this kid just happened to show up today. It's not like we planned it. But it's so cute. It's adorable. And also, I yeah. was really, I found it very endearing. And, you know, in 2019, uh, we have this sort of, you know, this, not to get too dark on us here, but there's a climate crisis going on. We're sort of fighting the fight against disposable plastics. All this stuff's going on. I actually thought Mike's message was very altruistic in that, you know, we live in a culture of disposableness and we're all too quick to throw out something ourselves. And sometimes it's good to, you know, know how to fix something and be able to keep using it as opposed to just tossing the bike and getting a new one. I think he's sort of valiant in his efforts to teach these kids, even though, like you said, not the best business model. This whole episode did make me, again, wish that I knew more about auto repair. It's one of those things where it's like, I don't know if I'll ever have the the stones to learn it, but like, man... Life would be so much easier if I knew how to, like, do even minor auto repair. Maybe someday. And now a word from us, kids. Hi there, Elwood City Limits listener. Uh, Just a quick note here from your buddy, your pal, Will Young, that this show is supported by all of you listeners just like you by the following ways. Facebook.com slash Elwood City Limits. Twitter at ECL Podcast. Tumblr, ElwoodCityLimits.tumblr.com. And Instagram at Elwood City Limits. Drop us a line on social media. We'd love to hear from you and give us a like, a heart, whatever it is. Email elwoodcitylimits at gmail.com. You can get your email read here on the air. Just send it to us and uh, let us know what you think of the episode, of the show, of anything in particular that we might have talked about or that's on your mind. And you can find the podcast by going to elwoodcitylimits.libsyn.com and you can find it at your local podcast provider. Now, if the show is not on a service that you use all the time and you'd like to change that, make sure to drop us a line and we will get it on there as soon as as possible. All right, let's get back to the episode now, already in progress. And we're back. It's time for Jenna's Bedtime Blues. This was actually the first time that my wife learned there is an Arthur character named Jenna. <laughs> was is this I I mean, we've talked about Jenna before, but I guess I suppose she must have not watched that episode or no, or, I don't think so. Or anything so. like that. This is so, sort of a Jenna. I don't think Jenna's had like an episode focused on her up to this point, though. So the only other one was the the Good Sport, which was more about Francine, and Jenna was kind of uh, incidental. It literally could have been any character, but it it did take the opportunity to introduce somebody new and give her a couple of characteristics and like I, things to identify her by. So we do know Jenna a little, but this. Uh, she comes into a bit more of her own. Uh, so the cold open is all talking about 
Muffy's Slumber Party, which is coming up. Buster's not so sure why everybody's excited. So uh, I think it's Francine who explains to him why like why it's so exciting and slowly whims him over because Muffy's slumber parties sound lit. Yeah, it's 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 popping off at Muffy's place. Because they get in like Cirque du Soleil acrobats, they like play pretend with like like last time they were like playing pretend that they were Egyptians and mummies and stuff like that and that Francine and Sue Ellen were adventurers. Uh, they get in the latest video games and VR, like it's 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 wild. And Buster and Buster's, you know, like goes from that doesn't sound like fun to eventually being like, okay, how do I get an invitation? And they're like, sorry, it's girls only. Every, so everybody is really excited about this, except for Jenna, who gets an invitation, and apparently this is the worst thing that could happen to her. And we'll soon find out why. Uh, the actual episode starts with Francine and Jenna playing badminton. Again, reference to the character we set up for Jenna, which was uh, that she is a badminton champion. That's right. She is, quote-unquote, the best athlete in the school. Mm-hmm. She's, uh, I, for- oh, I forget what the name of the award was, but she's an award-winning athlete indeed. Uh, so Jenna is trying to kind of get out of Muffy's... Uh, Muffy slumber party and not let on as to why and everybody finds it a little suspicious so then of course rumor spreads as to why that is and now Lucas I'm afraid I can't remember I watched this on Monday and it's Thursday now so I don't remember all of the you know reasons that people had I remember one of them was like Prunella says that Jenna sleepwalks and one time she tried to strangle a cat. Yeah, so they, they sort of start making up all these rumors about Jenna. And some of them, they range from just bizarre to really mean. Um, and then this was an interesting detail. Uh, the only person who kind of doesn't partake in the rumor spreading is Arthur. And it got me thinking, like, it's been a while since Arthur's sort of been the arbiter of morality on this show. I feel like <laughs> a lot of times Arthur, even though usually in kids shows like this, uh, the main character is the sort of moral center of the show, the do-gooder, if yeah. you will. Yeah, like you're, like you're Hey Arnold or something. Yeah, and I feel like Arthur actually is more often than not the one in the wrong. Um, and I, I think, yeah, I think it's he's just not immune to the herd mentality. And this was one time where I was like, oh, good for, like, oh, Arthur's really got a good head on his shoulders. He's like, don't you guys think that Jenna would be, her feelings would be hurt if she heard all these rumors about you? To which Buster responds that he thinks Jenna is a, uh, secretly a radioactive squid crime fighter who... Radioactive squid woman. Who fights a, a gentleman with a pickle for a head. It's, it's like a, it's like a pickle in a jar that can talk and it's called Dr. Doomsday. It looks like the bad and, guy from Super Meat Boy. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. I get that. And a, a funny line here, it's like Dr. Doomsday comes by in this like motor, in this floating motorcycle and he's just like, I blame you for my pickle factory accident. <laughs> um, so all of these rumors being spread about uh why jenna won't go and then we f- we do find out uh we actually oh, well, meet well, jenna's well first dad we have we have a great sequence where they're all spreading these rumors about jenna and sort of jenna walks in on them and we get a great line from buster buster goes we were talking about you we promise <laughs> in like the most <laughs> suspicious way conceivably possible uh and then muffy like adds flames uh, adds sort of gasoline to the fire and says if you were worried about strangling my cats don't because i don't have any <laughs> uh 
Uh, yeah, so it turns out in the scene where we meet Jenna's dad and they have a frank discussion, Jenna wets the bed. Like, this is a problem that she's had since since she was a bit younger and she's still dealing with. Um, and they kind of speak about it. Jenna's very embarrassed by it. And this is where we get introduced to the pull-up that she wears to bed, which kind of, which admittedly does kind of look like a diaper. And that's what's, what Jenna's afraid of everybody finding out about. Uh, apparently she also wears this alarm on her shoulder so that she doesn't wet the bed. Uh, this is, this is new to me. Uh, I don't know if kids who still wet the bed have an alarm like this. I, I wonder, it does, like, the even the look of the alarm, it looks very 90s or, I suppose, early 2000s at this point. Yeah. I'm not sure if technology has advanced past, I'm not too familiar with nocturnal enuresis, uh, but, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it seems feasible. It makes sense. I'm not sure if it's so much yeah, better just, from wetting the bed or if she does wet the bed, it wakes her up immediately so she doesn't get like a rash from like sleeping in it all night or, or what have you. Yeah. It's hard to know because I've never really had the problem of wetting the bed. In fact, I have kind of the opposite problem where like, um, do you ever have that feeling when you're dreaming of like you really have to pee? See, whenever I've had that, I usually am about to wet the bed. <laughs> But but the thing is, is that I can hold on to that for like until morning. That cannot be good my, for your bladder, Will. <laughs> no, because my body is so hyper anxious about wetting the bed that it's like, no, we're not going to wet the bed no matter what. Even like, I remember I've, I've had dreams about where I can like literally feel the sensation of going to the bathroom and I wake up and I haven't. It, yeah, I don't know. So like, I'm like hyper anxious to the point of basically shutting my bladder closed. Speaking of dreams, uh, we get one of, and I remembered this, this was like tattooed on my memory from a kid. If this was like the one thing I remembered from this whole episode, um, we get one of the strangest, it's strange in like, it's not strange in like the Lynchian way the dream sequences can sometimes be. It's strange in how much this is not how the logic of the world operates <laughs> and how mean-spirited this dream is. And I remember even as yeah. a kid being like, this is this is this, again, this is almost like a robot chicken sketch, like the way this plays out. So, well, it's it makes sense coming from Jenna's perspective because she is very much like she hates the fact that she's wets the bed and she's very down on herself about it. So we get this 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 sequence where Jetta is essentially she's an adult and she's like an Olympic uh uh jump skier. Uh and uh Arthur and Francine happen to be commentators. Uh and then Arthur says, you know, it's a legendary story. Jetta's been through a lot to make it here. She actually has nocturnal enuresis and then he looks it up in the dictionary because he doesn't actually know what that is. Uh and he's like Jenna, uh, uh, what's Jenna's last name? Is it Morgan? Jenna, Jenna yeah, Morgan. Yeah, Jenna Morgan is a bedwetter. And he accuses her. Yeah. And then he points at her. Everybody audibly gasps, including the cameraman. And the guy who's about to give her the medal, the gold medal, they take the medal away. Yeah. Um, and then, like, we get all these, like, the the paparazzi getting her shocked face. And then this just gets, it gets funnier and funnier as it goes on. So... Arthur Arthur and Francine go on they've grown up in this hypothetical situation to be, you know, famous sportscasters. Uh Buster is stuck to peddling newspapers on the street. He's a newsboy. Um uh, and it's sort of a, a dirt rag because it's called The Awful Truth and the headline is <laughs> Good name for a paper. The headline is Jenna's Ski Shocker. 
I believe there's also a headline that says Morgan wakes up. So wet. that's that's, that's like, what Buster I, is yelling on the street. He uh, bu- that's Buster it. says was, Morgan I, wakes up wet, and I'm like, and I was like, and I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. The uh, whoa. the writers were having a little too much fun with this whole sequence, <laughs> and like getting a little... everything from the aesthetics of the ski thing, where it, like they have this like filter to make it look like it's a really crappy camera. Uh, like there's yeah. there's sort of a bezel around the camera, and like the amount of detail they put into like Arthur and Francine's like ski commentary outfits, from the jackets, like the parkas to the to the lanyards, and then like Buster is dressed like a 1920s newsboy. Like this whole <laughs> sequence is like very funny. I, I I like your comparison to the ro- to like a robot chicken sketch, and you're right; it is really mean spirited in a way that does make sense. As a, as I kind of mentioned before, I will also say I never expected to hear the word the words involuntary urination on Arthur. This is uh, when Arthur's reading the definition of what nocturnal enuresis is. Yeah, it really is like very shaming of Jenna, which um, gives you a little bit of, of peek into how she herself feels about the whole thing. Well, keep in mind, also, keep that robot chicken comparison in mind, because it comes comes back later on in this episode. Okay. So Jenna is going to go to Muffy's, uh, to Muffy's party and decides to hide her pull-up in her pillow so nobody can see it. As they're playing, like, they, you know, they do this thing with, like, VR helmets, and then uh, they get offered, like... Uh, I think it's called like it's called Sarah soda, uh, which I'm going to say is like maybe a type of cola or it's at least a caffeinated soda. This is where you find out Jenna finds out that caffeine is a diuretic. That's right. And it's funny that I, I, I learned this, like, I feel like recently, cause I used to think that diuretic means that caffeine made you poop because I don't know. That just yeah. s- sounds like, well, what that's what people, that's what people say. That's what people say about, um, like drinking coffee is that you immediately have to go to the bathroom after you're Which done. Which is true, but the diuretic part means you have to pee. That is what diuretic means. I forget the yeah. the you know the background behind the word, but th- we sort of get this like Jenna's sort of setting herself up for the most comically like bedwetting inducing situation possible in that she's drank seven cans of soda. And her stomach is, like, gurgling around because they're on a giant, like, ship ride in Muffy's house. Yeah, they're all, like, recreating the Titanic or something here, or, or like, a shipwreck. Um, Yeah, so Jenna's idea is that she can kind of force herself to go to the bathroom before she goes to bed so she won't have to worry about uh, wetting herself. Um, Again, this episode, very informative, finding out the technical, the medical term for... uh, the nocturnal enuresis and finding out what diuretic means. Uh, very informative. Uh, <laughs> so Jenna does get to go to the bathroom and she thinks that that's all well and good. They do like a sort of a sharing circle thing with like this kind of spooky uh, thing about it. Like the, like a uh, sisterhood circle or something like that. Well, yeah, they're just, it's, it's essentially true for dare, but they're just telling truths. Like they're just telling embarrassing. It's very sleep, like slumber party sleepover stuff of like, all right, once it's like 3am, let's just start like telling dirt about ourselves. So Jenna doesn't want to tell her deep, dark secret. So she makes one up that she's in love with George, which actually goes over pretty well. You, I almost expected them to start laughing at her, but no, like Jenna kind of commits to the lie and we get this. This uh, this dream sequence of her and George on on a canoe in the middle of the ocean, b- by the fireside. I know it's it's kind of romantic for eight year olds. Uh, so that's that's but that's what she deflects with. 
But everybody is so impressed with her secret that Muffy uh, essentially gives her the prize for the juiciest secret, which is getting to sleep with her on the waterbed. And this was, so we get a little bit here where, like, Jenna's having to deal with sleeping on the waterbed, which is, like, you know, Muffy shows her, like, all the different settings and stuff like that. This reminded me of that scene from the Simpsons episode with the Union where, like, Homer really has to pee and Mr. Burns is like, it doesn't take a whiz to know that you're looking out for number one. And there's, like, the leaking pipe behind him. Yeah, so all <laughs> of the pee puns, like... It's like the writers couldn't resist themselves because it was kind of odd to see at a kid's show. But, like, when Jenna's watching the TV and it's just, yes. like, all the pee puns in the TV shows. Like, from the – literally, like, the Scottish guy being like, there's just a wee leak in the wee hole in, in the bag. <laughs> like, and then, like, it, it cuts to, like, the, the facsimile of, like, the uh, Sesame Street where they're like, the letter of the day is P. Can you say P? It was almost, again, very Simpsons almost robot chicken-esque of like it's kind of crude how like into the pee puns they were getting into this like the very like like whip whip quick just you know i i did love the scottish one there's a wee hole in the wee bog uh that was it was great i really liked it and then from there we actually get a dream sequence uh where Jenna wakes up, she thinks she's okay, but then her friends come in riding on an elephant, and then the same Scotsman comes floating on a river, and he's like, look out, wee lassie. <laughs> Just keeps saying we, and of course, with all of these illusions, you know, we kind of see that, uh, well, maybe Jenna's not as safe as she thinks. She wakes up, and Muffy's like, hey, what's this wet spot? And Jenna immediately li- is like, oh, no, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean for this to happen. But it turns out that Muffy accidentally pierced the waterbed with her brooch, which looks to be maybe a brooch of her dad. I don't know. Uh, up for interpretation. So I believe Jenna goes to the bathroom one more time and seems to sleep through the night okay. The The next morning, uh, Muffy wakes up Jenna with a pillow to the face. Uh can't say that's happened to me, but, you know, slumber party. I mean, we've gotten so used to sort of exceptional, like, Muffy's house at this point is, like, non-Euclidean. It's like the Taurus. It, like, it's bigger <laughs> on the inside than it is on the outside. Yeah, uh, the TARDIS. Yeah, the TARDIS, yeah. Uh, the TARDIS. But, uh, 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 like, <laughs> at this point, I've like, there's nothing I won't accept. There's no excess. <laughs> it's like Willy Wonka's so- Chocolate Factory. Uh, there's nothing that would surprise me for a second. I legitimately just thought that Muffy had a pet elephant. Yeah, it's not outside the realm of possibility. Like, to make it more unbelievable, she should have come in on, like, a Gundam or something. <laughs> Even then, I'd be like, oh, okay, Muffy has invented <laughs> advanced robotics. I'm sorry, Will, I got yeah. distracted uh, during you talking about the dream sequence. There was a gentleman broadcasting live from New Orleans crowd surfing, and I got very, very confused. Uh, <laughs> it's all right. It's understandable. We're, we're still about uh, we're a few minutes out from hearing who will who will the Pelicans select with their number one clip, uh, number one pick, but it's looking like it's probably going to be Zion. All right. I guess we'll find out we'll soon. We'll find out soon. It's coming. The moment's getting near, Will. Get excited. <laughs> we're coming near the end of this episode here. Uh, as they're having their pillow fight, uh, Jenna's uh, pull-up falls out of her pillowcase. And this actually, so this went in a way I, I didn't expect. Uh, so Jenna immediately grabs it and tries to kind of 
play it off. She goes like, "Hey, whose is this?" Or like, "Is that the? Is this somebody's diaper?" And then I forget who it is, but I think it's like maybe Prunella or somebody. It's just like, no, actually, it's a pull up. Like a friend of mine had it because they wet the bed, and uh, uh, like Fern says, my cousin still wets the bed, and he's like twelve, and so everybody immediately knows what it is, and so it's actually kind of goes the other way of by trying to play it off, Jenna actually ended up on the wrong side. And we get a line here from Francine. She says, she says like, you know, you, it's like, you better be careful about, you know, uh, saying that stuff. You might've hurt someone's feelings. And man, Francine saying you might've hurt someone's feelings is priceless true. dude but i thought this was interesting um you know jenna's trying to implore the classic technique of he who smelt it dealt it she's trying to be yes. like she's really played up like oh what kind of baby has this diaper and it's like okay this diaper was found in muffy's house uh it's obviously not muffy's because you like jenna yeah. this is not a great strategy from jenna because she knows it's hers and all the other girls know it's not theirs and so, but she's pan. She's panicking. She's though. panicking, but it's. Um, I, I I don't know. I thought it was interesting, and I thought it was interesting that like, you know, instead of being, I guess this is typical kid show logic, but instead of like piling on and being like, oh yeah, who's what baby had this diaper? It was kind of nice to see all the girls be like, ah, actually, you shouldn't be so insensitive. Obviously, it's someone's who who's right here's diaper. I mean, not diaper pull up. Excuse me. I'm just now I'm being insensitive. Yeah. But uh, it's obviously someone who's here, and it's actually a very common thing. You shouldn't make fun of them. Yeah, and it's it yeah it, it it subverted expectations in a way. Uh, it's just it was just unbelievable for Francine to be again the arbiter of morality, as you yourself said, the one calling for understanding. Like, please. Uh, so Jenna does admit to Francine that it's hers, and uh, Francine actually takes it pretty well. And uh, we this is pretty much the end of the episode here. Nothing. Nothing too bad happens, but the next day at school, Jenna says that George is acting really strange. Oh, I love this. I love this. And asks if, you know, word got out about what she said about him. And Francine denies it, but then George comes over with Wally and a flower in his mouth. And then Jenna's like, oh, man, I thought wetting the bed was the worst thing that could happen to me. And, like, I, I didn't super appreciate that we had to end the episode by dunking on George. Oh, I kind I, I, I mean... I don't know, in like an easy A, sort of like 80s movie, like John Hughes kind of way, I was kind of into this. I was like, not so much in that it was like making fun of George, but so much of like, you know, having a, a rumor spread about you that you like a boy, even though it's completely untrue. And now George is like all nervous. Around I don't know. I thought it was kind of cute. I didn't think it was so much okay. of her making fun of George and that she was like, oh, boys, you know, girls are from Venus, boys are from wherever kind of humor. I'm sure that was the intent, you know. I just I'm def- I'm a little defensive of my <laughs> of my boy George, and that and that's the end of Jenna's bedtime blues. Let's rewind it back here, Lucas. Uh, pick a car, any car. What'd you make of it? So, uh, and by the way, uh, Will, and this will be the last time I mention it. Uh, Zion did get uh, drafted to the Pelicans, so that's the hey, that's the end of the NBA. Congratulations! The NBA. Oh my God, he's crying. Um, this is an emo- This is emotional stuff. Oh my goodness. Anyway, um, amazing player. Anyway, uh, pick a car, any car. Uh, again, I don't know if it's because I'm currently, like, a lot of times we talk about how we sort of relate to Arthur episodes because it relates to something in our childhood or what have you. Uh, this episode 
uh, I'm currently going through it right now in my life. So mm-hmm. uh, it was uh, we and unfortunately, unlike uh, in the episode, I do not have a deus ex machina to save my car at the final end. I'm just going to have to suck it up and get a new car. But I kind of I loved this episode. I thought it was really funny throughout. I thought it was a really unique idea for a children's show episode. Again, I haven't uh, seen another children's show tackle the sort of childhood experience of uh, dealing with getting a new family car, which is something that I think is a real, like a real thing that kids go through and kind of wrestle with in a strange way. Um, and it's like the only time I've ever seen that story represented in any sort of media. So I thought it was really, uh, unique from that, uh, perspective, but yeah, all the humor in this episode really hits like, uh, this is the most I've ever liked Mr. Crosswire. Uh, uh, like, I I don't know why, but like Mr. Crosswire as like sort of salesman, uh, trying to, and with hapless peons is way funnier to me than just Mr. Crosswire as like a jerky rich guy. I was way into him in this episode, uh, I was I I liked all the montages, uh, and then of course like the real start of the show is again the the whole car talk sequence at the end with its ticking clock and the evil mechanics uh, uh, the cartoonishly evil mechanic all that stuff really worked for me. I ended up really liking this episode all in all. I agree. I thought this was a great episode. Um, it was such an interesting take on something like uh, just a really out of nowhere subject for a show like it's it's funny in i didn't expect arthur to tackle nostalgia at all but that's essentially what this is and i thought it was very true to that kind of whole idea um i i I felt i could identify with arthur wanting to hold on to this piece of his younger life and i feel like it probably does resonate uh even across you know age gaps and everything what's more i did think it was very funny and i'm i love arthur guest stars i especially love it when they're like esoteric like the car talk guys i bet you that there were like a few people in on the arthur team that were like what if we tried to get what if we try to get the car talk so is it is it is it them playing themselves by the way do we know yes it yeah that's awesome so they're now they're in the they just missed out their invite to the uh elwood city uh 100th anniversary play huh yeah i guess so but man like i i just appreciated how out of nowhere some of this was and then it ended up being really true to the spirit of the show so in the end i really appreciated it and i do like those those uh, those high and mighty garage people being taken down a peg. <laughs> Take that. Uh, as for Jenna's bedtime blues, I'll also say that I did enjoy this uh, quite a bit. Maybe a little bit less than Pick a Car, but I appreciate, of course, uh, a minor character, a more minor character, a supporting character, uh, getting uh, a spotlight here and talking about an issue that I know a lot of kids... Uh, Jenna's age and younger have to deal with uh wetting the bed it's uh I I don't know I'm sure I knew knew somebody who had this problem but I remember it being on a lot of commercials when I was younger about you know good nights uh the uh, the pull-up brand for kids good nights means good mornings and I'm sure it does help to have a little bit of representation and understanding in media that you watch as a kid. So I appreciated that. I liked the setting of Muffy's slumber party. I thought that was really fun. And the way that they ended up kind of subverting the tip, subverting the typical 
kid responds because at the end you figure that everybody will find out that Jenna wets the bed they'll laugh at her and all this kind of stuff but actually they end up being a bit more understanding than Jenna is so the narrative ends up being kind of Jenna against herself rather than Jenna against her peers which I found to be uh, almost almost mature for an Arthur episode and I think it tackled the issue very well and ended up being very entertaining as a result uh, I, I pretty much echo uh, everything you're saying here I, I liked the episode quite a bit as as well maybe not as much as uh, pick a car any car but once again I think it um, you know a difficult subject and I'm of kind of two minds of it because I actually really did like all the pee humor in the dream sequences I thought it was really funny <laughs> but it also kind of takes away a little bit from how well it's it, how much they avoided sort of making fun of what is a reality for a lot of kids and how that's kind of the moral of the story so they're kind of ha- trying to have their cake and eat it too a little bit there but i mean yeah it, it, it's hard to resist and they really do do the pee stuff in a clever like funny way um but yeah i i think besides that uh they really uh use tact when uh, sort of explaining Jenna's story. And this is another case where it's not something that I've seen talked about in a lot of other kids' media. And it's definitely, once again, a reality for a lot of kids out there. Like they say, millions of kids are affected by this in the episode. So I'm sure that this episode's probably really important for a lot of people who struggled with this when they were kids. And so uh, for that, I think it also deserves bonus points. But in in addition to its moral... Um, it's, it's just a, it's, it's a really fun, uh, episode that focuses on a character we don't get to see a lot, which is all, again, like you said, always kind of a treat. Agreed. A, gr- uh, a great doubleheader here. So if you haven't watched it yet, I would recommend that you totally do. All right. Uh, it's time for us to get out of here. I actually, it, it's, it's almost nine, nine o'clock PM here. So I'm going to take the moment to wrap this up pretty quickly. Lucas, once again, a big congratulations to you on your graduation. And I hope that this leads you a bit closer to your destiny, whatever that may be. Thank you so much. Will. I appreciate it. And thank you everybody for uh, interacting with us this week for the show. Remember to do that through all our social media, through Elwood city limits at gmail.com and all of the normal ways. And thank you as well to our patrons next time here on Elwood city limits. Uh, we continue on with the surprising season seven. I think I, I think surprising is a good word to describe it with DW's time trouble and Buster's Amish mismatch. So I think I think the weird stuff is here to stay for a little bit. If if uh, if I think uh, what will happen will happen on these episodes, I'm excited. And that's going to do it for Elbit City Limits here. My name's Will Young. Thanks a lot for joining us, everybody, and I hope you have a great uh, amount of time until the next episode. And for Lucas Mancini, it's Saturday. And you know what people do on Saturday? They buy cars. We'll see you next time. And don't buy a car.